poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson. And today's guest on the show was the number one GPI-ranked female poker player in Lithuania and the UK in 2019, and is the founder of the fantastic ladies in poker, Diva Byrne. Diva loves poker. I know this may sound pretty obvious in an intro for a show called Chasing Poker Greatness, so let me explain myself. Diva loves poker in a way that's both refreshing and mesmerizing. She made me think back to the beginning of my poker journey and conjured up all of those priceless, aspirational memories. You're about to hear her tell the story of the time she went on vacation with her husband, two strangers in a strange land who did not speak the native tongue, and how the first thing they did after unpacking was... You guessed it, find the poker room and jump right into the nightly tournament, maintaining that itch to sit down at whatever table she can so that she can play poker for the love of the game regardless of the stakes or prize pool is just how Diva's constructed. And the fact that she does everything in her power to spread the word about the game she loves with females spread out all across the globe shows you why Diva is such a vital asset to our community. In today's conversation, you're going to learn Diva's poker origin story, the exact reason why Diva is so appreciative and grateful for poker, why watching poker on TV can be extremely misleading, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you the founder of the fantastic Ladies in Poker, Diva Byrne. Diva, good afternoon. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm okay. Hello from uh, rainy Manchester. In England, very pleased to be here. Thank you for having me. It's my absolute pleasure. I've been looking forward to it for about a month. You've been taking on a life project. Tell me, what's what's been going on this last month that's kept you so busy? Uh, well, the last month, we are nearly at the end of January, right? Uh, the time goes quick. Can you believe it's like 2021 and 21st of January already? It feels like New Year's was just yesterday. Uh, yeah, it, so, I, I will say though, 2020 did feel pretty long. It felt like a yeah. very, it, like a, I think the saying that that I love is like the the days are long, but the years are short. That's sort of how I feel about about my life. Yeah, that's true. But I seriously don't know where this month gone. So uh, we moved into a new house just before Christmas, um, and it's been a long project happening the last 18 months and. Uh, we're still settling in. Um, it's still, we are happy through loads to do, but we got the bed, we got the kitchen set up so we can cook, we can sleep, and we'll be happy. And I can focus on poker. I set it up this really nice routine for poker, which I've been following uh, since 4th of January after I was, yeah, just recovered after eating and drinking. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was listening to one podcast minimum a day um what i'm doing um doing some studying for one hour two hours plus a day reading for one hour a day 
exercising for one hour, which usually includes going for walks uh, with coffee or doing yoga or a little bit of meditation. And in the evenings, mainly playing a few games. But uh, yeah, that's that's been the routine I've been following and I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, I that's... feel like I'm learning a lot. I feel like I'm healthy, I'm eating healthy, I'm exercising. So I feel like really good about this year, regardless of all the sadness and negativity outside, I, I still feel like I'm in the right place. I'm, I'm ready to succeed. I'm ready to do well and feel happy about myself. Yeah, that, that self-care is just so important. And being somebody that creates a fair amount of content and does a lot of private coaching and launches courses and writes a newsletter, I've realized over the past six months that my level of self-care has dropped dramatically from when my life was just take care of my mind, my body, my spirit, and play poker, right? Like it's such a streamlined process where the yeah. priority is just playing poker. Getting out of that and then having these other responsibilities, it's been like, you know, the tail has been wagging the dog, mm -hmm. as they say. And over the past month, it's the same. It was not really New Year's resolution. It was more just a coincidence of when I decided like, Brad, you're out of shape. <laughs> you need to go to the gym. You need to start meditating. You need to unplug for multiple hours every day instead of responding to every single message and Slack. Uh, yeah. Slack notification and email, like you just have to if you want to, you know, perform at your best. Yeah. And it, it's just it's so easy to get overwhelmed with life and forget to yeah. take care of yourself, especially social media, right? But to be honest with you, I am giving one hour a day for social media because I run fantastic ladies in focus. Same. Yeah, and it's I have necessary. to respond to messages. Yeah, exactly. I have to create content. You know, I have to grow the community. And that takes time, but I feel like you, passionate about it, and I don't feel it's a chore. I'm happy to do that, but you just have to kind of cleverly manage your time, otherwise you just run out of time to do things you want to do in a day. Yes, I'm the type of person that keeps inbox zero. I reply to everything. I respond to every message that everybody sends me very, very quickly, and I'm like, I, I just have to wait. Like, I just, just... Yeah you know, spend an hour a day on interaction and instead of just like getting pulled back over and over and over again. Yeah. So what's your routine like these days? Um, so I wake up in the morning, I take uh -huh. an hour to get out of bed. Actually, I'm not somebody that can just get up and go. I've realized that if I jump straight <laughs> out of bed, I'm kind of like a zombie. <laughs> I, so I lay in bed with my wife for, for an hour and just yeah. kind of boot up. Uh, then I unplug for the first two hours. I, I have my schedule already handwritten down from the night before. And mm -hmm. then it's just daily ritual of is today, am I going to the gym? Am I lifting? What's my cardio look like? I meditate. I, tr I read in these two hours of unplug time. I don't check my phone. I don't check my computer. don't check my emails. So you kind of go with the flow. You see how you feel and what activities you want to do, or you have kind of like a list of things you want to do each day. I've got a list. I like basically it's like I do push pull legs. So I go to the gym for about an hour and either do push day, pull day, or mm -hmm. leg day, with some breaks in between, and then I'm adding in some cardio. The cardio is where I'm slipping. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> I, I'm not the biggest fan of doing a ton of cardio, but um, yeah. Then oh it's my just, god! You know I'm gonna tell you a secret. I know you ask this question from the podcast I've listened. People tell me one thing people don't know about me. Well, I've never been to the gym. You've never <laughs> been mom. to the gym. 
How come? Why not? Uh, I'm just, I, I never enjoyed the exercise. I always liked, you know, the more kind of relaxed approaches to being calm, such as yoga and meditation. And I think I am being quite lucky in genetics. I am, you know, quite fit person naturally. So I guess that's the reason. Yeah, I'm. I'm also have the genetic lottery where I, it's very hard yeah. for me to. But I, I feel like because of my past inactivity in my profession, like if I did not win the genetic lottery, I would be like <laughs> 500 pounds. Like you would have to, ro- you'd have to roll me to the yeah. next poker tournament. I mean, <laughs> but uh, yoga. By the way, my, me and my wife have done some yoga and. Mm-hmm. When I was like at my peak, my fittest before COVID uh, a few years back, we went to practice yoga and I was like, yeah, I'm just like, this is, I'm just going to crush it. Like this is, I'm killing myself every day at the gym and I was sorely mistaken. (laughs) It is a totally different um, type of exercise than going and lifting weights. It literally like in poker, it requires focus and dedication, you know, uh, on the perseverance you know that's what works just it is. keep on trying keep on doing it, and eventually you will make that posture yeah it, it is awesome. really really tough those humans that are very flexible and have practiced tons of yoga i have the mm-hmm. up, utmost respect and admiration for their dedication because it is very yeah. very very tough me too i mean i'm only at the beginner stage and i've been for the last year or so just doing half an hour a day i still feel like a beginner but like every day I try to do something new, not necessarily new or like, you know, like stay in a certain pose for maybe, you know, like 10 seconds longer. And that's the only thing you can do. Just do a little bit harder, a little bit longer. And that's how, you know, you in the long run improve. Yep. You track your progression and just try, yeah. try to do a little bit more every single time. Yeah. Okay. So typically start out the show. By asking you, what's your story? What's your, what's your story? How did you find poker? So my story, I'm originally from Lithuania. Uh, I moved to England around 15 years ago. Uh, I was initially based in Brighton, which is a beautiful seaside resort in England. And it's like a massive student community there. We've got you know, three different universities and lots of colleges. So I was based there and I was studying so I graduated uh, in 2007 with a degree in business management. So Bill said I was a student and I was dating uh, my husband-to-be at the time. He was a professional poker player and uh, he kind of introduced me to poker and taught me how to play. Uh, and that's how poker came into my life. But once I graduated, I moved to London and I worked in the city for a few years uh, for Thomson and Reuters and for Ernst and Young. And after five or six years in the city, I kind of decided to resign because I wasn't happy as a person. I wasn't happy what I was doing. I didn't feel it was my calling. And whilst I was in the city, I was always playing poker on the side. So I just decided I'm going to take up poker now. Where were you playing poker? I was playing poker at the Fox Poker Club, mainly in London. We run tournaments there every day. Uh, So I was playing mainly 50-pound buy-ins, 30-pound buy-ins, and we had a special month 
one to like 150 and 300 pound events. And I actually had quite a bit of success there. So that was nice. And I think that's what made my decision easier than changing the profession. So I was doing okay live and I was making money online, was grinding on focus stars. And uh, so, yeah, I just decided I'm just going to be playing poker for a living and just took that step. When, so is your current husband the same as the original professional poker player that introduced you to poker? Yeah, so he ended up being my husband. He's my husband. Uh, he does not play poker anymore. He stopped playing poker probably about, I'm thinking, eight years ago. That's funny. Uh, it's funny. So basically, that's how it, how it became. I took poker on professional and he stopped playing poker. What was it about poker that just resonated and stuck with you? That when you're you know in business school that you just kept doing it as a hobby over time? I I think initially I saw it as, as a great a hobby to pass time that I could, you know, I'm quite social person, so I enjoyed going you know, to the local poker clubs and playing the game where I felt I could imply my apply my knowledge from university and from my working experience in the office, you know, such as <clears throat> maths obviously and psychology and just different skills with people to read people i just felt like i could do this at a professional level and i could do it better than the people who are playing there now on the recreational basis which i was doing at the time but i had this i guess drive and hunger to do better and i just saw an opportunity that's something i could succeed at what your husband think is like you're kind of you're you make the decision to go pro and kind of quit your job and then he's kind of leaving poker. What did that look like? Well, you know, I it was kind of like we had I had the time of preparation for the quitting the job, so I, I was saving money for the bankroll on the side. So because I I guess I felt after a few years of working the city it's not for me the office job. And it's not something what I want to do. If I was going to do something business related, it's going to be running my own business. Because my background is my parents are both entrepreneurs and I grew up in this entrepreneurial environment. I was making my own money since I was seven, like doing all kinds of jobs, selling flowers, selling ice cream, going to the festivals, selling, you know, fireworks and all kinds of things you possibly think of. And I just felt like me being in the office, I just felt really restricted. And this environment was so constrained, just following the routine. And it was all monotonous and it was making me depressed. And I just felt I needed to escape that before it all goes really wrong, you know. So I guess that's what it was. I just needed something more. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the... Like something more challenging and something more exciting. Yeah, the, the freedom, the autonomy... Uh, this is the reason why, you know, when I was 19 or 18 years old and just said, I'm going to be a professional poker player, I can't handle this, uh, being in the system. It wasn't, I just didn't like, I just didn't like, (laughs) I I didn't like being lorded over. I didn't like being pigeonholed to doing one thing. And yeah, that, that would be the freedom and autonomy to pursue and travel and just be my own boss. Um, was what appealed to me. Now, naturally, as a 21-year-old human being, there are these struggles and problems that you, you have to learn how to manage yourself, right? Which is yeah, quite, a, 
quite quite a struggle for a, a young person. Yeah, you-, you know, especially when you're in the office. I, another thing what I found hard to deal with is like just office political politics. Mm. You have to play this game, and you know sometimes you feel you're smarter than people that you just have to be in the role for the sake of it. Like before you get promoted, also you already feel you have stage is all like kind of following that procedure. It doesn't feel like it's there for the right reasons. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it just, just didn't feel right. I and mean, poker was something I joined at the time, and I was like, let's do poker. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Um, that, <laughs> That's I, not what my parents thought. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll buy that. What did they think? They thought I lost my mind. They literally thought I'm going to lose all the money I saved up and earned in the, you know, working in the office and studying for so long. I went to the business school before vanity college and then university. And they thought, you know, like it was all for nothing. Now I'm going to gamble on red and black and I'm just going to end up on the streets. That was the opinion, basically. Did it, but has I that softened? Some... <laughs> Sorry? I said, has that softened over the years? Yes, because uh, then I showed them the other side of the story. It was a good argument. I said, like, look, if I still worked in the office and I was depressed and unhappy, would that make you happy? They said, no. If I worked in the office and I couldn't come back to Lithuania and visit you every three months and stay in Lithuania for as long as one, some, as, for as long as I want, sometimes with one week, sometimes six weeks, you know, I wouldn't have that chance to do. I wouldn't have this opportunity to be so flexible with my time. I get two, four weeks a year for holiday, and I couldn't be at home, you know, at the time. And they said, yeah, that, that's a good point. You know, they would not be happy not to see you, you know, on a regular basis. I said, okay, so, you know, like, you just have to see that from perspective of my happiness. If I'm happy, you should be happy as well, regardless of what I do. So even though they, they had some skepticism, you, you had their blessing to begin playing poker. Were you successful straight away? Like, what was the, the beginning of being a pro? How did that look? Uh, so I was playing mainly live events in uh, in London. You know, we got quite a few different casinos. There's like some good choices there. So obviously we got um, the poker room, the Vic on the Edgeway Road, which is one of the biggest poker rooms in the UK. Uh, and then we have Fox Poker Club and we've got uh, Hippodrome, which is poker, poker stars uh, casino. And so I played all around different events and I had some success at the live events. I played online as well and had some good scores there, you know, like 11K and 15K. And that was, you know, like enough to make a living for a year or so. It wasn't huge money and probably not as much as I would have earned working in the city. But I was free and I was happy and I was, like you said, my own boss. I was managing my own time and doing something I really loved. So, yeah, and I, I played poker professionally for a few years before I got approached by... Genting uh, Casino Manager. So that poker club I used to go and play in London a lot, well, two times a week, like three, four times a week. Uh, they saw my success there and, you know, like that I guess I'm always happy and, you know, good with people. And they just approached me asking if I wanted to be an ambassador for them. And so I did that for a couple of years, which was very helpful after a few couple of years of playing poker for a living. So, you know, it was like some extra security for me and, you know, like giving me some more freedom with my bankroll and playing higher buying events. Uh, and, 
yeah, and I just continued playing folk and enjoying it and traveling a little bit more around UK because Ghent was organizing events in different cities of the UK, so that was nice as well. So I got to meet this folk community and build some friendships and, you know, like, understand folk a little bit more and, you know, like, analyze the game in a different perspective, from a professional poker player's perspective. And, you know, uh, so, yeah, that kind of developed, you know, like, the, the time. Yeah, it, the... I mean, the supplementary income of being an ambassador is kind of huge, right? Like, I know just starting out, it's very scary. It's a very scary world where we kind of fixate on the worst case scenarios Mm -hmm. that that could happen. And that kind of keeps us up at night, especially when, you know, your pursuit is as variance heavy as poker can be. Um well, yeah, it's very volatile, right? It's so inconsistent. The income, you might not make anything for six months and then you make enough money to pay for the next six months. Right. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. It, it's especially the, the tourney, the multi-table tournament lifestyle mm-hmm. too. That's even more volatile yeah. than, than the route of the cash game player. But, you know, coming back to that decision, like you said, like, uh, it's so risky and so stressful. Well, I never felt that. I just kind of felt like, I don't want to be in the position what I'm doing now. That's not for me. And I feel I'm enjoying poker now, so I'll take it up because that's what makes me happy. And I guess for me, my only goal in life is to be happy and for my loved ones to be happy and healthy that nothing else matters, really. Yeah. I mean, it, when you when you boil it down to yeah. priorities, that that is the yeah. only thing that matters. You know, it's yeah. we, we can't... Uh, we can't one day have a goal to be happy and fulfilled and just fill our lives with toiling and working and unhappiness, right? Like yeah. that's we are living life every single day. Yeah. And so yeah. So I now understand people, you know, sometimes I talk to my friends who are in job who are in jobs and they tell me how, you know, like they had this horrible day, they hate their boss, you know. And they just felt so depressed today. They just called them sick. And I'm thinking, what, why are you doing this? Why, why are you not just changing the jobs? Why not doing something that appeals to you or, or something you'll be fulfilled, like you say? So I don't understand that. That, that to me is just like a different language. Like if you're not happy something about something, change it. Yeah. And you don't even have to always change jobs or occupations. It can be working on your own perspective of the situation and just trying, trying to view it from a different lens. You know, if people, if a listener doesn't have the option to change jobs, I think one of my favorite books is a book called leadership and self deception. And Mm -hmm. I would highly suggest anybody in the audience to check that out because that's interesting. I'm not sure about that one. I like reading. Yeah, yeah it's, it's amazing. And basically your, your own lens shapes your perspective of the world and your occupation and your job. And like if you're not in a place to quit, um, trying mm-hmm. to upgrade your perspective or look at things in a little bit different light can be ultimately beneficial. Yeah, but to the, in the end of the day, it's all about making that step to make a change. Yeah, I don't understand people who complain and they're doing nothing about yeah. it. Yeah, you have to do something. You got to yeah, try. Yeah, you have to do something. You literally have to do something. Like you said, find some side engagement or activity that fulfills you, or change the roles, or you know, change totally different position within the company, or just like leave the industry altogether and start something new. Yeah. But I don't understand when you just like moan, 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 and then you six months later, I'm still doing the same job. Oh, yeah, okay. I think it's just like uh, we 
some we we tend to victimize ourselves and don't are aren't as resourceful as we could be because yeah. most of us have connections and mm-hmm. most of us have opportunities to seek outside help we just mm-hmm. kind of don't you know we're yeah. just a- averse to doing that and yeah it's just take action yeah. uh, if you don't like something try to change it try try to yeah. try to overcome um I think it's a very interesting subject, to be honest with you. Uh, for example, I mean, it's a lot to do with people's personality and probably upbringing and psychology, because maybe it's about belief or, you know, like not being confident enough. Maybe those people are not having family support. I don't know. There's just like must be reasons, like, which can be easily well, identified and dealt with. Yeah, I'm, I'm, so today in a, in a couple of hours, like, we were talking about in the pre-interview, I'm doing a webinar on poker coaching and it's called the enemy of execution. And it's about our emotions and just how are, yeah. how are emotions when they're very heavy create distortions, right? It's like, yeah. if you have a friend that's telling you her problem with her boyfriend, right. And it's like, this is what's happening X, Y, and Z. And you're like, it's so obvious. Like just find another relationship. Like this person, this person, <laughs> just get out, yeah, get just out. get out. This person doesn't care about you, right? Like their, their actions don't back up what they say, yeah. but to the person that's in the relationship, yeah. everything is foggy. There's no clarity. You know, they're just consumed because of their emotions. They can't break mm-hmm. out and, and do the, the logical or rational thing just because it, it, they can't see it because they're so clouded yeah. by their emotions. And I think that's a crazy thing. Yeah. I mean, humans, <laughs> humans are crazy things. I think that's, oh, yeah, and that too, all of us are crazy and different. <laughs> yeah. A lot of, a lot of craziness. Jason, tell me about presence. Why did you think presence was the missing weapon in the arsenal of poker players? So everyone's a mindset champion when they're running great, right? But when you're getting crushed day after day and you haven't booked a win in forever and the confidence is just gone and you're trying to do this thing that you read about in a book or someone told you about being logical and being happy that the money went in good when all you really want to do is cry and hit something at the same time, like how are you supposed to be logical in that moment? But that's the only moment when you really need it. What you need in that moment isn't mindset. You've already read all the mindset books and you already know what you're supposed to think and what you're supposed to do. What you actually need in that moment is presence. Presence is the ability to connect the dots between who you want to be and how you can actually be that person when you need it most. So let's cut to the chase, right? Like, how do you do it? How do you stay more present when you're at the poker table? Well, you get there by first deciding that you want more, right? That you want to grow your intuition that you want to create more flow in your life and that you want to reach your full potential as a player and as a person. And once you get there, you can start trying out some of the exercises and practices that I've put together. If it feels good, if you're enjoying it, you can keep going, right? And if you keep going long enough, eventually you'll find that you're just playing at really high levels, that you feel good with low stress and you're enjoying your experience a lot more, not just at the table, but away from it as well. I personally would love to have as much presence as I possibly can in my day-to-day life. And if you, the listener, right now wants to add some presence to your game, visit PokerWithPresence.com, join Jason Sue's email newsletter, and then schedule a free consult with the Master of Presence himself. One more time, that's PokerWithPresence.com.
going back to your story, your path, mm-hmm. I know that you created the fantastic ladies of poker. I don't know exactly the time frame as to mm-hmm. when you began playing professionally and then when you started the fantastic ladies of poker. Could you fill that gap? So, uh, yeah, I, I started playing poker professionally in 2012 and I created the clip, which is a variation for fantastic ladies in poker in 2017. So essentially it's a female only community. Um, in poker and since then it's become like the largest female only community in the world in poker so we've got currently 3,500 members um, yeah it's, it's very friendly and supportive um, community with different kinds of members, different ages, different backgrounds, different levels of skill but it's all about celebrating women's success in poker and supporting each other and empowering each other and just kind of a place where you build the relationships and perhaps new friendships with the like-minded people. And I know that my listener is most likely not a lady. I have looked at the demographics of the viewership and (laughs) the odds are not good that um, you're a female listening to the podcast right now. I'm sure it'll be a few. There are a few. There's around 5% according to my metrics. Okay. That's interesting. I, I want to ask you what, what is, what are the fears that prevent females from playing live poker from, you know, just immersing themselves in poker like like males do mm-hmm. well um then the, the reason the flip came around is like when i started playing poker obviously i quickly realized there's just such a significant gap between the numbers of male and female playing at the tables and i was there surely must be something we can do about this. And there's no reason why it should be more females at the tables. So that's how Flip originally came around. I was like, we need to create this community. We need to promote women in poker. You know, like, the more successful stories, the more women join the game, the more people are, you know, coming to the live events. You know, like, yeah, so we make friends and we are not... Well, the reasons, I guess, why... Not as many women play live events as online because I know for a fact online is around 20-25% female players and the live events usually get between 3 and 5%. So it's because of irresponsibilities mainly. Lots of them have families and uh, we have a specific daily routine we have to follow. Then we put the kids to bed, you know, then we do the dinners and things like that. So we can only play specific times and specific days of the week. We can't just go to festival and disappear for a week or even for a weekend or for one day sometimes. Uh, another reason is it was always widely and globally promoted as a game for men, I guess, since from the very early times, right? All the cowboys, only men, you know, in Vegas playing poker in those dark rooms. Dark, and smoky gamblers. Never, exactly, yeah. It was never really uh, put out there for the audience as a female welcoming and friendly game. It was very masculine. And even now, these days, 
all the marketing messages you get from the biggest brands in Polka, it's very much male orientated. And I don't think there's enough marketing material for targeting the female audience. And that's another reason. I, I, I agree so much that, you know, there's a book called Blue Ocean Strategy. And like, yeah, basically... The males in poker, it's very red. Like everybody is going after, you know, the male demographic of age yeah, 25 exactly. to 42. Yeah. And there's so much opportunity to bring females into poker. Like it's just such an underrepresented demographic. And if you're looking at people who could play poker and enjoy it, um, yeah. that's just a, it feels to me like just an untapped resource. And, and no, I, yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly what I've been telling for the last few years, you know, like since I created Flip Community from then from zero to three thousand five hundred members, and it's literally strictly only women only, because I approve members myself, there are no fake members, we're all real and all women. And so and also since I've been organizing, promoting and hosting ladies events around UK and Europe for the last few years, I've seen a steady increase in the participants. So, for example, like when I started officially, let's say initially four years ago, it was like two, three tables of female players playing in the ladies' event. And the last event I had in Malta two years ago, it had 120 entries. So that's like a big increase. And then like when the ladies come to play a ladies' event, they end up playing the side events and main events. And the last event we had in... Uh, in Spain for the MPM tour, which was in um, Madrid, it had actually 30% of female participants in the main wow. event, which was the record breaking and never happened before. But it just shows it's the growing market where there's demand and interest if you promote the market to try it. And you mentioned some of the logistical barriers of just women in general, right? They take care of the family. They deal with the rugrats running around. They can't really take a, a week off from those responsibilities, like if you were to organize a tournament specifically mm -hmm. to cater to these kind of restrictions, like what would mm -hmm. you do? How would you put everything together? Well, that's what kind of we did for MPN. I mean, I went to work for um, MPN in 2019. So they approached me to build a female audience and they organized live events around Europe. And I... Um, that's what I did. So uh, what you do, you basically create an event and promote it far, far in advance. So let's say five months, four months in advance minimum. So people, you know, start working around this festival, put in the diary, make arrangements that are necessary and, you know, like save the money for the travels or, you know, for the budget and for the buy-ins, the bank roll. So the most important thing is like, to promote a day in advance, to give enough time to make the necessary arrangements, and then run lots of satellites online and live, so people can qualify online and win packages. And if they've not done that, they can still come live and do still the same. They can satellite into the main event. That if they are successful, they still can have lots of fun because there are lots of amazing side events, small buy-ins, ladies' events, like bounty events, or team tag events, like all kinds of activities going on. So, uh, yeah, and you kind of create this community field. Then I brought all the ladies to, uh, was it? <laughs> in Spain, I forgot the name. Yeah, in Madrid. So it was, like I had a WhatsApp group of maybe 70 ladies. So, you know, like, I feel like 
you know, they love being part of this community. They, you know, they organize going for coffee on a daily basis. So it's not only about poker. It's about different activities outside of poker and having, you know, like many holidays and catching up with the group members and making new friends and hanging out together, exploring the city. So it's like a combination of both. You're there to play poker and hopefully make money, but if not, you still have an amazing time having holiday and you don't mind if you spend that money. Yeah, having a good time with your friends. It's it's an experience. And yeah, it is an experience. Th- this this shouldn't even be mutually exclusive to females, right? Like I think yeah. men, like tr- if you're traveling, if you're going somewhere to play cards, like meet up with people, meet, make friends, yeah. like have an experience while you're there. Like like we just yeah. said, when you're living life, we ought to be happy and fulfilled and have a good time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely I mean, right. That that experiential draw yeah. I- I is a big part of just community feeling welcome and, and part of a tribe. Yeah, all my, all, you know, some of my closest friendships actually came through the clip community. You know, I met females there and then ended up meeting at the live events and we are staying in touch now, you know, and like we met up like for different occasions outside poker, you know, like or barbecues or you know like for family birthdays and you know it's like amazing that something that like that comes out of the female community yeah i have the utmost respect because i am building my own community and i i realize it it is not easy to yeah it is not easy for a thing that started with just one member yourself to to grow into 3500 people i mean that is a that is a massive accomplishment Exactly. Yeah. One, one person. And you did, you yeah. brought these people together, right? Like that's a, yeah. that's a massive And that's what makes me like really happy. You know, like once when I played in uh, Brighton, uh, back to my hometown where I was studying, we had a live event there organized by Unibet. I was an ambassador for Unibet for a couple of years as well. And uh, so there's like a couple of ladies came uh, to play live poker for the first time. And only because they were part of the cliff community and they find out about this festival and game, you know, through there. And so they came over. I was mom and daughter together. It was a weekend away together, girls weekend away. And, uh, a mother ended, ended up shipping the side event. And it was <laughs> the most beautiful story and it made my heart melt because she said, if not for you, Diva, I wouldn't have been here. That's and amazing. It, it was like, for me, it's, it's exactly what I do this. That's yep. the reason, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's that. I mean, it, it, it's amazing accomplishment, especially knowing like the demographics on the back end of like building a female only community. A lot of time, a lot of hard work, a lot of energy. And I, yeah. I, I very much wish that things change moving in into the future because there's like I said, there's just so much yeah. opportunity there for to grow the industry as a whole. And I mean, yeah. poker poker is a beautiful game. It, it's sort of positioned in a weird place as being like a. Like you said, you know, your, your parents aren't in love with betting your life savings on red or black, right? It, it's not, it doesn't have the great, greatest of looks from the outside, but once you get inside, it's just an amazingly beautiful game. Yeah, thank you. I guess like another thing I want to add to the subject we're talking about, the ladies in poker. I think that the ladies tournaments, like there are like a two kinds of people out there, they go like, Oh, why there are separate ladies tournaments? Why can't they play together? And I always go about, there is the reason because the same reason why there are seniors on events at the WSOP, the reason why there are 
only students events, you know, like running around. And people have different, you know, demands. We, we want to have options and choices. And, you know, like if there is a demand and interest, why, why not provide it, right? And I think it's very important to run ladies events for also for the upcoming new generation for the female in poker. How do you grow poker economy or ecosystem without bringing more people into the game? And that's also through female community. And one thing that I know for sure, it's that my gender does not always make poker a very welcoming place for females just in yeah. general. Um, we kind of, I'll be frank, we, we can be pretty horrible and awful um, as it relates to the opposite sex and including them in making them feel comfortable, like just basically treating them as any other normal human being that sits yeah. down at a poker table, right? Um, and ladies events, if they are there to make yeah. folks feel more comfortable, get used yeah. to the setting and the surrounding yeah. and just, you know, play more tournaments, play more cash mm -hmm. games, just become more immersed in the poker yeah. world. It, it makes no sense in the world as to why somebody would be upset about having a pure ladies tournament. Exactly. You know, like my sister, for example, she only plays poker sometimes uh, online, but she's very recreational. She has a full-time job. And the only time she plays live poker is there is a ladies event. So sometimes to my friends who have no understanding of poker and who think poker it's the same like uh, playing blackjack or, you know, like playing baccarat. So I just tell them like, look, like think about poker and ladies events like this. I give this an analogy. Like if you go to the cinema, you just want to have a night out and go and watch a movie. You go to the cinema and you're already thinking, oh, you know, which popcorn shall I have? Shall I have the salty? Shall I have the coffee? I don't know. I'll decide when I get there. And then you get there and you've already been thinking about it and get excited. And the only popcorn choice we have is a salty one, which you dislike. And you go like, Jesus, you know, like, uh, <laughs> your, your night is ruined. You know, you don't want to be there, but you go to the cinema because you already made this effort to go there, watch a movie. But you never come back because we didn't have a choice of popcorns you wanted. So the same with the ladies events at the festival. You would not go to the festival if you don't have ladies events. It doesn't matter if you play that event or not, but this might be the reason why you attend that festival. Yeah. Where, where are the people complaining about a six-max tournament? Because it's a different format than regular, right? Like it's just it, – yeah. it, it's, a, it's a different different thing. And to make a metaphor here that I just am creating on the spot, it, it may be good. It may be horrible. But for the male listener in the audience, like imagine you're going to do yoga for the first time. Yeah. And you show up to the place and you have your bat and you're feeling very uncomfortable and anxious and you open the door and mm -hmm. it is 150 pure women all just doing their yoga. Like you're going to be a little bit intimidated, right? Like you're going to be <laughs> yeah. like, oh God, like is this thing for me? Like you're going to feel yeah. out of place. Yeah. I mean – and that's how – I, I'm not a, I'm not a female, but that's how I have to imagine that looking out at a sea of men playing this game may feel yeah. like it, it, it may feel very intimidating and something that yeah. is, I mean, you need to get used to. Yeah, I agree. I know I'm very experienced. I've gone through this, all kinds of comments at the tables and, you know, like people being horrible sometimes and, you know, they're sexist and, you know, I have my comebacks to the guys, like snap comeback and, you know, it doesn't bother me what people say. But if you're a beginner and you're coming here for the first time, you're very excited, 
and then someone tells you, oh, why are you not at home looking after the kids? That can make you cry, and you definitely now come back and play poker again, and you don't want that. Absolutely not. And honestly, you, you don't want the people who would say that in the first place to be playing yeah. poker. Like, the, that's well, really... Oh, I, 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 100, I've been at the tables. <laughs> I, yeah. I have experienced many unfortunate things that yeah. have, that have been said. And I, too, it's, those people are very unhappy. They're just not yeah. pleasant human beings to be around. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, those same people are very shitty to me and other, other males as well. Right. Like yeah. they're just taking their shots to whoever's yeah. in the general vicinity. Yeah, but somehow we tend to focus on the female players a lot of the time. Because, probably because they feel like they can get away with it. Right. It's yeah, just it's sexism. Yeah. It's like easier target. And, we think, yeah. yeah. No, not, not with me. No. That's good. I mean, the, de- <laughs> the dealers too, they deal with way more, way more BS than they really should. Yeah. Oh my God. I always stand up for the dealers. I, I just don't let them being bullied. I just always go like, you should not talk to, to him or her like that. That's so rude and irrespectful, you know, and I just call it law. I just don't put up with it. Yeah. I just don't put up with any nonsense at the table. I always try to make the playing, you know, either recreational or professional environments, you know, like just to make it as fun as possible, as friendly as possible and inclusive as possible. And then anything what comes outside that, I just deal with on the spot. Yeah, I, I wish you could replicate yourself times like a million or so, and <laughs> the poker world would just yeah. overnight be a much better place. So what would you say is the most unexpected thing that's come from your journey through poker? Unexpected probably making so many wonderful friendships. Like I said through Flip, like, there is like quite a few girls now, and especially in the UK, and a few in America, they become really close, and then like they communicate on a weekly basis, stay in touch. They've got, uh, you know, a private groups going and supporting each other and, you know, railing each other and just, like, following each other's career and, you know, like, it's just so nice. And it's not, like I said, only focus outside folk as well. And I never really expected I'm going to meet so genuine and uh, really nice people in poker because it's such a loan industry and it's very competitive industry and everyone is in there for themselves and yeah sometimes it's hard to trust people but there are some really nice people out there and i'm just glad i came across them and we are just really good friends now yeah the the relationships for me have been very unexpected and i think maybe if i knew uh then what i know now just about how there's a filter, right? Like the people that make it in poker, the people that are attracted to poker are a yeah. certain type of person. And we're naturally enjoy spending time with people who are very uh, much like ourselves. And yeah. that to me is kind of like, you know, it, 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 poker just attracts a certain type of person. And if you are that type of person, you will make friendships and relationships that last a lifetime. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm so happy about. And yeah. I guess look forward to, you know, seeing them soon because I've not seen my poker girls since like, uh, beginning of last year. The last, the last live event I played was in, uh, February last year. So it's 11 months ago and I've not seen anyone since then. Yeah. It's, it, it's been, it's been a year and yeah. hopefully the next six months we'll be able to go back to some semblance of, of normalcy. What do, what do you think that live poker? Is gonna happen in Europe in the last in the next six months? I have no idea. I, yeah. I I used to think that I could predict things, and then 
now I've learned that I am the worst predictor. <laughs> I just you don't, you don't have that gift, yeah. Yeah, I hope. I hope that ever like uh, I would have predicted like better things for us in the states over the past year, but you yeah. know, then reality kind of happened, and so now I'm like, I don't even. I can't predict it. I don't want to predict it. The vaccine has come about much faster than people mm -hmm. really anticipated, but that wasn't very surprising to me just because of the sheer amount of money that was there yeah. for whoever developed it um, first. And also like just the economic resources that get unlocked with yeah. the vaccine um, distribution across the world. And I hope that things kind of go back to normal and that we have a safe environment. Yeah. But I, I will say that after taking, you know, this year and a half off and being away from your friends, like it's going to be such a great feeling to meet back up with them in a live yeah. tournament setting, I would imagine. No, it's going to be amazing. I and mean, we're going to have a proper poker catch up. What we do usually meet up at some poker festival and just all of us play and, you know, usually have last longer and, you know, have some fun nights out. And then, yeah, just, it's just amazing. Yeah. Um, so, Going back, you touched on this briefly early on, but what's your process look like for regularly improving your poker game? Um, so, yeah, I try to do a couple of hours plus a day. So I usually um, go through the hand reviews, hand history of my tournaments. And then what I also like to do is... Um, watch the final table replays of the high state buy-ins on poker starts. We've got three plays there for free basically. And I absolutely love watching how the current top crushes in the world are playing, you know, like 5k and 10k buy-ins. And, uh, you know, I like watching it from the start because you can see the history between the players and you can follow the flow of the game and, you know, like you see what kind of range of hands, what they do with and. I think it's amazing you can get all this data for free. And uh, what else I do? Uh, I'm registered a couple of training sites, so I watch a couple of, you know, videos there, you know, and I watch a couple of lessons there. And I guess that's the main thing, basically. Hand reviews and final table reviews and, like, some videos on the coaching sites. That, that's my daily, like, training process. And working on my mindset i do yoga and meditation and also i read one hour a day like not necessarily poker books but all kinds of books and i try to keep up with the news in poker industry as well uh so i try to keep myself busy i like i like learning i like feel, i like the feeling that you know i'm not falling behind i'm always trying to stay ahead of things stay you know, uh, present the current affairs. Yeah, and just curious. I think this is another thing that draws people into poker. Folks that love learning, that want to explore their curiosity and test themselves. That's yeah. another just trait of folks who are attracted to to the poker world. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned something really important too for the listener. Watching all the data points from a either final table or lead up to the final table, right? Mm -hmm. Understanding the metagame, the, the variables yeah. that are in play and why people are doing what they're doing. Like yeah. when, when you watch a, a cut distilled version on, you know, the WPT or wherever, like you yeah. miss, you miss metagame stuff. That's that absolutely affects decision-making and 
you can really extrapolate some really poor things if you yeah and i think you know like i think watching just one hand replays especially the wsop the wsop ones i think it can be they can do more damage than good because you know like you literally have no idea what's the history between those players why he made that light call or why he made that block and you know like it just gives the wrong side or perspective of poker, you know, like people don't play like that. They play it because they made that move before the reasons, the good reasons they had at the time, not just because they fancied it in the spare moment, you know. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's... So that's I, why it's good to watch the full final table from the start and get the idea what's happening at the table. Yeah, I think just make the conscious decision to, to know that, like, some poker is more entertainment based and some is more mm-hmm. training based and then treat them as separate entities, right? Like you can still watch yeah. WPT if you understand that like there's probably not going to be a ton to gain from just yeah. seeing very snippets, uh, various snippets. And, yeah, like the most exciting hands. Yeah, of course. <laughs> that, yeah. They're not going to show the four times that you've opened in – the player on your left three bet you and you just fold yeah. and you never see a exactly. flop. But they'll yeah. show they'll show the time that you like rip it with a jack and a deuce and you look like a dummy because they have aces. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so But it's important for the creational audience and it's important for promoting the game. So you know like I you know had done you know I'm clapping for WSOP doing this, you know, like streaming the WSOP main event and making it exciting, publicizing because that's the only way to build the game, to get more publicity in the mainstream audience. And for the love of all that is holy, if you're a high-level MTT player, like, please stop taking five minutes to make every single decision. That is not Oh, a- I was talking about the same person. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, just, like, it, talking about rec players, like, I am not going to watch somebody sit there and take five minutes to make the best decision that I've ever seen a poker player make. Like I, I'm not interested. I will change the channel instantly. And I mm-hmm. have to imagine a, somebody who's just trying to learn poker and watching it for fun. Like they're going to switch the channel instantly. Yeah. And that's just not good for poker's growth and long-term viability. Yeah. And I think they're always like good players. They just know what they're going to do. You know, I, they the do. Spot. Yeah, they, yeah, they just do it straight away, and then they usually take time for the good reasons. Like they take time; they want you know to use a specific action. But you know, like when recreationals do that, I don't think they are thinking behind it. They just do it because they saw the pros doing it. And so, you know. yeah, it's <laughs> stalling is the number one reason why I don't play tournaments. Uh, it just it's good on the bubble, folks. Oh, it drives me crazy. Mine is stalling on the bubble. <laughs> I, I know, like that's that's the problem with it, right? The problem is that we're in like poker players are incentivized to stall at various points in the tournament. So, like attacking that incentive as a tournament director, like how do you not incentivize yeah. stalling? Right that that should be the the issue. I don't think it's the players who are operating within the parameters of the rules. It, it should be a rules thing that like there is some penalty for taking five minutes on the bubble, right? Like it just, something has to change, but I don't know how you could execute it or implement it. I know Matt Savage listens to this podcast. Matt, please solve this problem. And like, I I think poker would be so much more popular, uh, tournament poker specifically, if, if we could get people to act faster. I mean, 
cash games are the opposite, right? Where we're incentivized to act quickly in cash games because the more hands you play, the more money you make. And and then in in tournaments, the incentives are completely out of whack and different. In tournaments, like when someone's banking, you know, every hand in the middle of, you know, early stages of a game, I'm definitely calling a clock. But then if someone's doing that on the bubble, I'm cool with that because I see the advantages of it and I think it's a clever play. And, you know, there's why people would not do it, who don't understand the game. But I think you, as an experienced poker player, trying to work on this edge, I think it's, you know, why not? Yeah. And I, I don't see a problem in that, on the bubble. Uh, but any other stage of the tournament, I, I disagree. Yeah, it's, I mean, ugh. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I could I could just talk about this for hours and rant and not not <laughs> make see, any coherent I see that's sense. Really <laughs> yeah, it, it it really is. Um, I'm like quite calm and patient person, so I, you know, if someone's taking time, I start thinking about the hands I saw previously. You know, like the interesting hands he played or some other hands I'm already playing in my head. I'm not actually thinking that he's taking time. I'm just thinking about different things. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could I could tell you there was a time I was at Commerce playing uh, 1020 to Limit against a friend of mine, Jamie, and we got involved in a pot on the river. It was a fairly decent-sized pot, and I mm-hmm. probably thought for about 45 seconds. And he just looks at me and he's like, you know, it's your action, right, Brad? Like, <laughs> like, because I, I'm always acting very, very quickly. He's like, I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm actually thinking this time. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I actually have a decision, big decision to make here, but like, I'm always just clicking and trying to move fast and like, let's play mm-hmm. more hands. Let's play more That's hands. Fun. Um, I, I actually been, I think called the clock like once in my life and I was so much in the zone and like, focused on that specific hand and action and decision that I lost totally track of time. So I was like, oh, you know, then someone said clock, I was like, oh. And they said, do you realize it's been five minutes? Holy cow. Can you believe that? I, I didn't know. I thought it'd been like 20 seconds. I was so lost in that specific hand. And yeah, and I couldn't believe it's been five minutes and I just not even realized. Yeah, it's a flow state, right? Where yeah, so that was amazing, and you just don't know if I'm gone, and you're still there thinking. <laughs> I I think I don't think I've ever had the clock called on me, except for yeah. the many times I've called it on myself. Like I on yourself <laughs> all, all the time. It's like clock. That's like I, I just I, I need to do something here. Clock. Let me. I put some pressure on me to make an action. I need to move yeah. forward. Um, I've never done that. That's that's been news to me. It's it's not well advised, um, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm impatient. So my impatience is not limited to my opponents. It's also yeah. on on myself as well. I hold myself to the same standard. Uh, the reason I love light poker because you have unlimited amount of time to think and make the correct decision. And I always try to take the, you know, the most as I can of that. Because there is no rush, like online poker, you have 60 seconds or whatever you got in the bank left. There is live poker, I feel so relaxed and I have time to think about it. I would never thought of calling clock on myself because I would take every second possible to make the correct decision. Maybe it has a lot to do with, with just me and all, so the atten- all the attention and being yeah, impatient even with myself. Yeah. I, I, ha- I actually have zero problems 
like with people in really big spots that are complicated, yeah. taking as much time as they need. Like that is totally, it's, yeah, exactly. it's like, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Not yeah. like yeah. It's like under the gun with do seven off and you're like tanking for five minutes. No, it's like, dude, crazy. come on, do yeah. something. Look, I totally get it. You feel like being a lone wolf in your poker journey has hamstrung your ability to realize your full potential. So I'm about to give you a golden opportunity to plug into a supportive tribe that will be the poker family you've always wished you had. How much money would you give for one hour of interactive group coaching led by myself, Coach Thomas, and occasionally past guests of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast? For now, and this will absolutely change at some point in the near future, the price of admission to the Live Poker Power Hour is 100% free. All you've got to do to get your invite is head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com and hop on the VIP newsletter. No more excuses, no more procrastination. It's time to take action and put yourself in position to turn your poker dreams into reality. I hope to see that beautiful face of yours in just a couple of days. So when you think about joy in your career playing and being uh, in the poker community, what's the first mm -hmm. memory that comes to mind? Um, I think what I love most about poker is like the freedom and traveling the world. The poker is taking me to the place that I would never travel to before and experiencing all those cultures and meeting different people from different backgrounds and what's what's a memorable experience what's what's one of your favorite uh, places like for example like this is amazing like so they went on a five-week trip to south america with my husband and they ended up staying in uh peru the capital of peru, peru in lima uh at this uh casino spa hotel and they had a poker room there. So we were like, okay, so we checked in the hotel and we like went downstairs straight to the poker room and like, what's happening? And they said, oh, we had the tournament started half an hour ago. I was like, okay. And so what's the buy-in? What's happening? And we said, we're about seven runners. It's like $50 or so. And we said, okay, so we buy in. And, uh, they said, so you can buy more chips with this amount. They are like, okay, whatever. So we sat down. So we sat down there and it's about 70 players and all of them are from Peru. We don't speak English. And we are only two foreigners. I'm obviously the only one girl in there. And it's amazing. So we're just playing there. And we don't know what's happening, who's saying what. And you just put the chips. That's the only way to communicate. You can't say raise or hold. You just have to do it, you know, like by action. And uh, I think I bust like with two tables left. And my husband ended up chopping it. And it was such a fun experience. So imagine doing, you know, a deal, heads up, and you don't speak English, so everything has to be written down, the numbers, and you're trying to agree on the deal. And uh, it's just like, it's just so fascinating. It's a different, you know, world, and it's just it so much fun. And we made enough money to travel for the next few weeks, and it was a fantastic start to the trip. That's an amazing, an amazing story. And that's how you know you're doing the right thing when you're on vacation in Lima, Peru, and you yeah. learn, learn there's a poker room and that's the first yeah. thing you want to do. Like, uh, yeah, let's go play the tournament. Yeah, I want to check out what's the poker like here. And I'm like, yeah, it's just no one speaks English. We managed to get into this game and then, yeah, chopping heads up and like they don't understand what you're talking about, trying to make a deal. And 
everyone's there, you know, like rooting for the local, and it was just so funny. Everyone's watching, like 25 guys just watching headshots, and it's so funny. That that is that's an awesome experience. I I haven't ever actually traveled to play poker, um, to really? anywhere other than well, no, nowhere out no. of the United States. I've been landlocked to the Commerce Casino and yeah. Foxwoods and the Florida and Mississippi. Oh my God, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, you're definitely missing out. That's the most, you know, uh, the most important, I think, thing that brings the most joy for me in poker, you know, like traveling and exploring new folk, uh, new places and also playing poker there and trying to make money there. Like I traveled, you know, the furthest I traveled for poker was Aussie Millions in Australia. And, uh, I traveled all around Europe, played different locations, and uh, yeah, obviously Vegas every year, and that's just given apart from last year. Um, yeah, just all the stories from playing poker, just so many of them, you know, like for example, like a couple of years ago, finishing playing WSOP main event and cashing in there, and then just try, driving uh, up the West Coast and, you know, stopping in Reno. And jumping to a $100 game there after, you know, like just finishing main event they making day four, two days ago and playing $100 Reno event and final tabling that. And it's so funny. And the guy then on the final table was like, shall we make a deal? Eight-handed. And I'm the only one. You know, no, I'm not interested. <laughs> and they look at me like I'm crazy. Like the girl who got lucky to be on the final table and she doesn't want to deal now. And then they ended up being five-handed and the guy who was goes to my husband goes like oh your wife actually she can play poker john's like yeah i know she didn't say she just played 10k buying you know two days ago and so yeah they ended up chopping heads up and you know like this like local lady and yeah it was really interesting she's like live community member now and it's amazing someone i met just like that and then yeah we're part of the group now and stay in touch and most different people from different experiences and different stories different parts in life it's, it's it's fascinating yeah i mean for anybody that plays these kind of tournaments please don't try to chop eight eight handed like I, I don't play tournaments but like don't you play tournaments to make the final table and like feel the excitement of like going down to like three or four players like and laddering yeah. up i mean chopping with eight people seems like i know that I you, know you that. play for that experience right why are you just yeah. <laughs> trying to remove it out of yeah. the equation I think there are like local, local people, you know, who play there on a daily basis. And for them, you know, like any profit is a profit. So that's how you make a living. So let's yeah. say if you made the final table and you made the deal, you probably 300 up for that day and be happy with that. And still a lot of money. Like if you make 300 every day, it's like nine, you know, 9,000 a year, 9,000 a month. So, um, that's, it's good money, right? So, but. But if then you do that professionally, obviously you're looking to make top three spots. No, that's all the money is. Yeah, um, I'm always like in the silly home game tournaments and stuff that I've played in. Uh, people cheer when I get busted because I'm like, no deal. Like, yeah. no deal. <laughs> when, I, when, when I bust out, they're like, yeah, see you, Brad. Like, all right, yeah. let's do a deal. Like, yeah. Screw you guys. Well, obviously, it sometimes makes sense. I, I made deals in the past. For example, I was playing a tournament in London and uh, I don't remember the amounts was the first and the second, but the heads up and the guy told me, he said, you can have the first place prize. If you let me win, I'll get the trophy. 
So and I said yes <laughs> because he wanted the Venice photo and he wanted an article in the news and he wanted to take a photo with his uh, country flag. I'm pretty sure he was from Egypt or Israel. And I was like, yeah, makes sense. It it kind of it halfway makes sense, except he's celebrating something that didn't really happen. I think that's. <laughs> but you know, sometimes it makes sense. Yeah, the, for the, me, he, but that's what he wanted, and I was happy with his proposal. So yeah. Yeah, he he wants the prestige, right? Like he, yeah, he, he, he wants, wants the prestige. Arena. Yeah. He gets the trophy, and I can buy a trophy for twenty bucks, and I think I go like three thousand more. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a, that's it. That's an easy deal to say yes to. Um, yeah, so I, but some people, for some people, in Polk, it's all about ego, and I think it's a lot to do with the all those nosebleed state, you know, high stakes players. And I guess for me, in Polk, it's never been about that. For me, it's been about making a living, making enough money for me to do things I really enjoy and be happy. And I don't care if I'm on the top. As soon as I'm making a profit and enough money to survive and enjoy my life, that's going to be enough for me. I will say too, like I'm not driven by prestige. I think that's probably why I gravitated towards cash games in the first place. Yeah. But I don't think it's actually bad if that's no, your driving force. If that's you know we, yeah, we, we all have our have own different ambitions. Exactly. We all have our own values, and if that's what drives you, then you know go yeah. for it. Uh, who who am I? It's yeah. diff- different strokes for different folks. I totally agree. And another thing with folk is like to be on the very very top. You actually have to devote everything, you know, like you have to be there by yourself, studying 10 hours a day, playing 10 hours a day, like exercising and maybe sleeping three, four hours a day. And all the poker players I know who are on the top, that's what we've done for the last two, three, four, five years. And I can't imagine my life like that. For me, balance is the most important thing. Balance, you know, like to see and speak my, with my family, balance to travel, balance, enjoy what I enjoy life, going for nice meals, you know, going to the restaurant, you know, all spending time with my friends. I care about being at these special occasions, christening, you know, wedding or whatever like that. For me, that's more important than being number one or something. Yeah, the journey to the top is often very lonely and isolated. Yeah, there's no balance there. You just work, 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 work alone. Yep, that was, uh, I spoke with Jason Kuhn in a Chasing Poker Greatness episode yeah, a couple, couple months that, back. Yeah, it was like when you when, when he becomes a father and his priorities shift, his poker mm-hmm. game inevitably suffers. He will not yeah. be as good as he currently is, right? And that's just mm-hmm. a conscious decision that people have to make when they're prioritizing the way that they want to live their life. I guess it's that inevitable decision. That's why you not see, you know, like many successful poker players who got families. You know, they are usually like single guys. Because yeah. once you have a family, just priorities stick, you know, come in. They are totally different. You don't even have a choice about it. And that's it. And if you think that you can do both at a very, very high level, I would very much challenge that assumption because I personally only... don't know anyone. I, I don't either. I mean, I. I a friend of mine, we talked about this in the the pre-call, but my Olympian gold medalist friend of mine, he, he's yeah. just like, yeah, he, he's like, dude, you can't, like, you can't be a good dad yeah. and a gold medal, gold medalist yeah. Olympian. You just can't you do just it. You don't like, have time. Yeah. So you have to choose and you have to be selfish. Yeah. And like, so if your plan is to be at the very top of the poker world, you've, you're going to be 
lonely. You can't have responsibilities other than prioritizing poker every single day of the week. Yeah. I mean, you can have responsibilities, but you just won't have time for it. The only way to be on the top is like to eat, breathe, sleep, poker. That's it. Literally nothing else matters. You're just there and you're just playing or traveling and just playing every day, busting one tournament and playing another like so yeah that's what you have to do yep when when you're messing around playing video games there's some monster out there who is studying and learning and growing and hungry to take your spot i mean that's yeah. the that's the nature of competition yeah i feel like i'm in the middle somewhere you know i i, I never wanted to be number one it was never my goal i never wanted to be obviously just like swimming just above the water and I wanted to be in the middle. I wanted still to be successful, make enough money, what makes me happy. Just literally treat it as a job of business. That's how I do it. Yeah, that was my goal when I first started playing poker. It was like I don't want to be the number one ranked tournament player in the world. I just don't want to ever have a job again. <laughs> like yeah. literally, I just want to be able to pay my way through life by playing yeah. a card game and see how good I can possibly get. Yeah, and, that and, was and it. doing the job, doing something I enjoy, which I feel very passionate about poker. And I love it. I love playing poker and I love studying it. I, have, I love learning something new every day or trying different techniques at the tables, different moves. And I, I still find this very fascinating. I yeah. feel there's so much to learn. Also, I've been doing this for 10 years now. And there, there are just many more metrics for success at, and poker greatness that are in the equation than just pure monetary gain and prestige and like living a happy, fulfilling life. You know, like we're tying back into our earlier conversation, that is very, very, very yeah. important. It, I, I would not want to be miserable making ten or fifteen million dollars a year playing poker mm -hmm. for ten years straight and just be miserable the entire time. I mean, what I a, way, what a waste of life. Like yeah, and then 10 years later, you find out then there's no one to celebrate that. Basically. Exactly. I, I, I remember the story of Brian ha how Hastings. How sad is that? There are some people who have the WSOP bracelet. There's no one there for them, and I'm feeling so sad when yeah. I see that. That, that was um, – I remember – I'll never forget a story about Brian Hastings when he beat Victor Blom out of $7 million that one night, and <laughs> it was like the most anybody had ever won or probably ever will will it ever will win in an online poker heads up extravaganza over the course of one day and he went to the bar and like he had nobody to celebrate with and, and he wow. just felt this just overwhelming sense of loneliness um wow. that's just seriously i'm so sad for them yeah it, it's a, another friend of mine um a student who's from australia he actually flew to the states and stayed with me for a few days he was in at Commerce in Los Angeles and had his best day as a professional and also didn't have anybody to talk about it with. And he, he felt the exact same emotions of like just loneliness, right? It's like, what's the point? Like it, Okay, it, so they're doing something wrong then. Like they need to uh, reshift their priorities in life and, you know, just like bring in some, you know, balance of some kind, you know, do different things outside poker rather than just not be totally immersed in poker. Yeah, absolutely. Um, following up on the question that I asked like uh, 30 minutes ago and got, got sidetracked as I, as I do. Uh, <laughs> You're having too much fun. What can yeah, I for sure. Um, when you think about pain in your poker career, what's the first memory that comes to mind? Pain? Okay, yeah. Uh, I can definitely paint feel pain when I final table um, Asian poker tour in Macau, ladies event. Uh, 
from it was a few years back, maybe five, six years ago. And uh, so basically, of my own mistake at the time, uh, I got in like a Jacks versus Aces. I still remember the hand. And I bust uh, on the bubble, literally. And I was absolutely gutted. It was so much pain. My heart was breaking and I just felt such a loser. And, you know, I traveled all this way, invested all this money. And because of my own stupidity, I just, you know, like bust on the bubble with nothing. And yeah, I just literally was punishing myself. I, I was thinking for days, if not more. And like looking back at it, I know the pain because I felt it and I could still remember it. But I don't uh, blame myself anymore because I know that was because I had not as much experience as I needed for the final table and being ICM aware as I should have been. Whereas now, looking back, I would never make this mistake. But it's all a learning process. And, you know, like the more you play, the more you study, the better you become, the easier situations and sports will become, and you just intuitively know what to do. But at the time, I didn't know what to do and probably I just got in because I had jacks with a good hand or a short stack. But yeah, it was just because I was not experienced enough. And it's kind of now makes me laugh looking back at it. I was so naive and just inexperienced. And it makes me feel good because I see how far it's come. I come as a person and as a poker player as well. Yeah, it, it, it's great to have those moments. Well, it's not great in the moment, feeling feeling the pain and feeling gutted. Yeah that you didn't perform yeah. at, at your expected level. But there are markers of where we were that we can look back and say, yeah, I, I've grown so much since that moment. And I'm very grateful for just the everyday growth. I, I think in poker... I'm actually grateful for that mistake because it made me you know, go and study ICM and made me go and rewatch like 100 final table replays you know, and made me realize what mistake it was and it's all about and made me realize I can't do the same mistake again. So it, it was perfect. Yeah. Every mistake is an experience. So perfect. That's another... I'm actually grateful for it now. Yeah, I mean, I'm grateful for many of my mistakes and many of the, yeah. the pain that I've experienced just in life and in general. But whenever you make a mistake in poker, what's important is you can learn from it. Like you can gain yeah. experience so that you do better in the future. And like even if you make a mistake that, you know, costs you a stack or busts you out of a tournament... You can learn from that mistake yeah. and it will make you money over the long term if exactly. you're willing to yeah. investigate and learn and grow. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, it's all about seeing, you know, like the positive side of it. For sure. The big picture. Um, yeah. So we'll uh, hop into the lightning round and close down shop so that you can get into you know, organizing and <laughs> breaking in your home a little bit more. If you could gift all poker players one book to read, what would it be and why? Uh, does it have to be poker? Nope. Okay. So let me make some notes. Some notes. I'm just thinking what book shall I recommend. Uh, so I, I do read a lot. I try to read a book every couple of weeks. I've not read recently an Apoke book. So I think the, the, recent one which, the recent one which I read and I really enjoyed is The Choice by Edith Eager. So it's basically about um, the Jewish girl in Holocaust and uh, 
her survival and escape is, is just a memoir. It's about that every person at any given time has a choice how to go forward. You have, you can always make the right choice or the wrong choice, that everything what you do in life is up to you. So it's very interesting. It's very psychological because she's sort of worldwide, you know, all stitch and then she's become a worldwide known psychologist and doctor and travel around the world giving her story and speech to the people to inspire them. So, um, that's a book I really, really enjoyed. And I think I'm going to read it again. It's all about that everything is possible in life and you can do it and you can make the right choices. Yeah, it, it, it reminds me of, it's interesting to me. The, these types of humans fascinate me that go through something like that yeah. and somehow transcend and come out the other side just made of steel, almost superhuman-like. Exactly. Um, yeah. Viktor Frankl is another uh, another one with Man's Search of Meaning who also became a world-renowned psychologist and mm -hmm. just lived through the Holocaust and through mm -hmm. the hardships somehow made it out not only alive but much stronger than, than when he went in. And that to me is just the ultimate in fascination mm -hmm. as to – how some human beings sort of, you know, we all react differently to adversity and some people just kind of melt into a puddle of ooze and can't really yeah. make it through. And then other people just become almost superhuman. And yeah, the, there's, there's nothing more inspiring in my opinion yeah. than, than stories like that. I agree. And for me, it's very, you know, inspiring and motivating, but also it kind of put things in perspective for me, you know, like, Oh, we just sort of complaining or we got upset about little things like having a bad beat or, you know, raining today. And, you know, like it just makes you feel like, what are you talking about? Just like focus on the things that really mean and you have control over and just do that rather than just like, yeah, focus on the negative. Just be all, for me, life is all about positivity and happiness to be honest with you. And then yeah. just try to live that way and encourage others to do that way. Yeah. Like, a scene from Viktor Frankl's book comes to mind where one of the people that he was in there with his feet swelled up too much to put his shoes on. And this is like a strong hardened individual. And they were walking like many miles in the snow and the cold. And he just, his shoe, his feet swelled up so much that he couldn't put his shoes on it. And the man is just weeping, right? He's just yeah. weeping. And, and like, when you, Think about a bad beat. Put it into that yeah. perspective of, yeah, like things didn't go your way in a game of variance and bad mm -hmm. bad shit happens all the time in yeah. poker, right? Like there's true, true, truly horrible things that go on in the world and yeah, exactly. in comparison, and, it's so minor. And how fortunate you are, you know, just like to move to the next game, go and travel and play somewhere else or open a different poker room play somewhere else or you know try again and again and again lots of people don't have this opportunity absolutely and that's what you have to be grateful for absolutely if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about poker what would it be the uh, amount of women at the table i'm certainly Just have with you. more female players playing what is something that my audience my listener me can do to help further this cause because this is something that i'm passionate about oh that's amazing i mean i really appreciate that so when you play live or online just be 
friendly and inclusive and respectful. Don't try to treat women in a different way. Don't ask questions like, oh, would you like a glass of champagne? Or are you here because your husband is playing cash game? Or, you know, these kind of don't make judgmental comments. Just try to be, yeah, just a nice person and welcoming and, you know, be helpful. If you can actually see that we are playing for the first time, we're a little bit confused with the chips or amount we are betting or, you know, acting out of turn, don't get frustrated. Be actually kind and helpful, you know, try to teach them the game and take, you know, be patient at the time and just, just be a nice and kind person like everyone else would like to treat you. Yeah. Just be cool, man. Just, yeah, <laughs> just, just be a cool just person. Chill. Just chill. I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? When a male sits down and doesn't really know the rules or doesn't understand everything that's going on, like you're able to spot that in a female as yeah. well. And yeah, just be helpful, be nice, be kind, yeah. and be make kind. it a good experience. Yeah, exactly. Just make them, you know, believe like that we have the best time, and that's. That's how you're going to have them to return and play poke again. And that's how we're going to come back and bring a female friend or a sister, a mother. And that's how the game grows. Absolutely. If you could erect a billboard, every poker player has got to drive past on the way to the casino. What does it say? Uh, it definitely has to be something positive. Um, <laughs> no, uh, no, Brian Rast. Um, your, mo- your mother doesn't love you on the billboard. Oh my god, I heard that. Oh my Jesus Christ, what he's talking about. <laughs> uh, I no, mine would be uh, play your A game and believe in yourself. Yeah, I, I think confidence is something that yes. is absolutely necessary. Speaking of emotions at the booker table, like when your confidence drops, your emotions go up, much harder to execute and navigate. Yeah, I agree. For sure. That's that's why you get people winning, you know, by going in a winning streak because, you know, the more they win, the more confident they become and the more, you know, they win. So it's just funny. It's the same like the people, the more money they have, the more money they make. Yeah, well, the... There's also the the opposite effect of when you're very confident at the poker table, other people are afraid of you. They perform worse yeah. when they know that you're just fully present and very confident in all of your yeah. actions. Because you know, if you're just gonna check raise if those backdoors, you're gonna get there. Like, no. Yeah, it, it feels bad. <laughs> it feels bad. It feels bad playing against that person. Yeah, but it feels good because I know it's gonna get here. I'm feeling confident. I'm not stepping. Yep. What's a project you're working on that's near and dear to your heart? Um, so obviously we're working currently on the house, finishing the house. I think it's going to take another few months, maybe three, six months because of the COVID. We can't get people to come in and it's a little bit complicated. We can't get some, you know, um, equipment or supplies for the house. That's in a personal life. And in poker, I'm actually currently looking to uh, work uh, with a company or a brand in poker who cares about poker, uh, about women in poker. And I would like, um, yeah, to help a brand that wants to become number one operator for female in poker to, to develop the strategies and, you know, to help to promote women in poker and to, to grow this market. Is that feeding into your entrepreneurial nature and sense? Yeah. I think that's what it. And also because I'm passionate about the subject. And that's what I do. And I just see this 
going from strand to strand and I, it would be nice to be backed up by some brand who feels as passionate as me about it to help me get there. Awesome. So one final question before we part ways and before oh, no, I, sad. <laughs> it, it's been an hour and a half. Shockingly. Uh, it's, uh, oh my God. No yeah, the, way. I just realized that. Oh my gosh. The time kind of flies by. Um, yeah. If you're listening in the audience and there's a female member of your family, a friend that wants to get started in the world of poker. Please direct them to the fantastic ladies of poker community so that they can learn more, get closer. Uh, so uh, the group is private and uh, you have to send a request on Facebook. So you have to go to Facebook and search fantastic ladies in poker. And then the group will pop up and you send a request and I'll personally approve it. And if you're a guy, I disapprove it. <laughs> So, and there's like a community of 3,500 members, which is global, all around the world, uh, Canadians, uh, Americans, Europeans, Asians, and it's very friendly and supportive community. You can post anything you like, your success stories, share your bad beats. Um, you can plan your travels and uh, meet friends or find friends to go to the events together. And it's very inclusive and you'd be very welcomed and I'd be happy to join. Yeah. And if there's one thing that you've learned from Diva today, it's she's a very positive and welcoming human being. So thank you. And very, very safe hands. Uh, So the the final question, where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the World Wide Web? Um, So I'm mainly on Twitter. I use Facebook for the fantastic ladies only. And I use Twitter for poker, which is Baltic underscore blonde. I used to be blonde before COVID. (laughs) (laughs) So Baltic underscore blonde on Twitter and on Instagram, Baltic blonde, one word. Yeah, well, I used to have hair too, but (laughs) things things change in life. Yeah, Um, I know. (laughs) Time flies. Time Time, time. time flies, yeah. Really does. Well, thank you very much for your time and your energy. I would love to have you on for round two, back when the world becomes normal and yeah. we can all travel and all that stuff again. I know, and I would love to meet you live. It's such a pleasure being here. And thank you so much for inviting. I absolutely love what you do, and that, you know how how fantastic work you do. You know for running the community and the podcast. And I wish you all the success, and I hope you win an award. Thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And that's the the blessing and the curse of this podcast is all of the great connections and relationships that I've made. And I haven't been able to meet anyone. <laughs> like yeah. I haven't been able to travel and like yeah. just go to Vegas and hang out with the people that I that I've met. Like I just can't, you know, in yeah. six months, whenever that dam breaks, it, I'll be very grateful for just being able to meet um, the folks that I've met through this journey of producing yeah. all these podcast episodes. I can totally relate. I feel the same with the Flip community and all the other people. And I miss live poker like, so much. It's coming. It's coming. It, it just yeah. it, need a little bit more patience and we'll get there. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yep. Same. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, 
Please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.